Good morning, guys. There is a very, very old tombstone in an Indian cemetery. Now, this tombstone is over a hundred years old. And here's how it reads. This is the epitaph. It says this, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Later on, someone passed by and wrote this right next to the epitaph in marker. Listen to what he wrote. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. So let me ask you, is it possible to know in advance where you are going when you die? Is it possible to know for sure your destination, your final destination, once you leave this earth. The Apostle John writes this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I write these things to you to all those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know, church, for sure, if you have eternal life. You can know for sure that once you die, when you die, you will be in eternity with him. Today we continue our series we've entitled The Afterlife. And what we've been looking starting last week and through all the whole month of July, what we're looking at is what happens biblically when someone dies. Because remember, like I made it very clear last week, one day everyone is going to die. So what happens? What happens when we die? I think for a lot of us, we don't have a clear idea. But I also think for a lot of us, we think that heaven is boring. We don't have the longing to go to heaven. We feel that uh, things are better here on earth and maybe, maybe one day we'll go to heaven. What I'm saying is that none of us are dying to go to heaven. No pun intended. But you know what I really believe and I love the way the biblical scholar Kenny Chesney sings this song. This is what he says. Everybody wants to go to heaven, have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but, not, but nobody wants to go now. And that's the truth. We're not longing for heaven. And church, my prayer throughout this series is that we get a clear understanding of what awaits us for those that trusted Jesus Christ in heaven, that we get a longing for heaven. Because a longing for heaven is a longing for Christ. And a longing for Christ is to be with him in heaven. I truly believe if we change our perspective on what heaven is really like, then it will change the way we live on earth today. I believe that if we realize what awaits us in heaven, we will live by the words that Jesus asks us to live every day. And he says this in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I pray that our heart is longing for heaven that every day we seek for his righteousness and his kingdom first. 
You know, I remember my first experience with death. I was in the sixth grade, and my best friend, Robbie, passed away. Now, Robbie and I, we're just always together. I go to his house after school, or he go to mine. We were always together, and then he got sick, and eventually he passed away. And I remember going to his funeral. I didn't get near the casket. I was in the back just observing everybody, how everybody was sad. But I remember clearly they were saying this, at least he's not suffering anymore. At least he's at a better place. And I knew the concept of heaven. I, I, I had an idea of what they were talking about, but I really did not know what they meant. Do you? Really? Do you understand or do you have an idea of what's going on in heaven right now? Is anyone who's passed away really not suffering anymore? And that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at two specific things. The first thing we're going to look at is what is the nature of the intermediate heaven, the present heaven and the present hell. That's one thing. And then we're going to look at what is life like in the intermediate state, the second stage of mankind. What's going on right now as we speak? Before I get started, I want to pull up a diagram that I put last week. Now, if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go back and look at the sermon. You can find it on our webpage. I went into detail. The diagram, a lot of detail, which I won't cover today because of time. But here's basically what we're going to talk about today. In theology, there's three states of man. The first state of man is from birth to death. We all were born, and one day we're all going to die. That's the first state of, of man. When someone dies, their soul is temporarily separated from the body. Temporarily. And their soul immediately goes into the intermediate heaven. That's the second state of man. Death to resurrection. They will go into the intermediate heaven when they die if they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on this earth. If they did not, they go into the intermediate hell, which is Sheol or Hades. Second stage of mankind. The third stage of mankind. One day Christ is going to return. Yes. And when he returns, the souls that are with him in heaven will return with him. And the body is going to be resurrected. We're going to get our glorified body. Yes. And we'll be reunited again. And we'll go into the eternal state, the third state of man from resurrection to eternity. For those that trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior into the new earth and the new heaven. For those that did not, we'll go into the lake of fire of torture forever and ever. We'll be looking at, at the new heaven and the new earth next week. But today, like I mentioned, we're going to see what's happening now in the intermediate state, the second state of mankind. So what is the nature of this intermediate state? What is present heaven and the present hell like? Let me first mention this. In the Bible, heaven is referred to as three kind of stages. There's a first heaven, a second heaven, and a third heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere, the sky. And that's why the psalmist writes this in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's the first heaven. The second heaven are are, are the galaxies, the stars, the moon, the sun. Isaiah 40.26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these who brings out their host, the stars, by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, no one is missing. That's the second heaven. The third heaven. The third heaven is the abode of God, where God mostly lives. God is present everywhere. 
But the third heaven is where he mostly lives. And Paul tells us about an experience that he, he had. And he went up to the third heaven. This is what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I know a man, talking about himself, Paul is. I know a man in Christ who for 14 or 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But God knows. When it comes to hell, hell is referenced in many ways in the Bible. Let me just share three of them with you. It's known as Sheol or Hades, which is the same thing. Sheol is Hebrew. Hades is Greek. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 1610. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It's also referred to as the abyss. And in Greek, it means the bottomless pit. Revelation 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with a smoke from the shaft. And hell... Hell is also referred to as the lake of fire. That is the permanent hell, the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Church, heaven and hell are real places. They're real places that exist, but they exist in a different dimension. I love what Randy Alcorn writes. Randy Alcorn is an author of a really, really good book entitled Heaven. Most of the information that I'm sharing in this series, I got from this book by Randy Alcorn, Heaven. Pick up a copy. You're not going to regret it. But here's what he says. He says this. Scientists at Yale, Princeton, and Stanford, among others, claim that there are 10 unobservable dimensions and likely an infinite number of imperceptible universes. If this is what leading scientists believe, why should anyone feel self-conscious about believing in one unobservable dimension, a realm, he says, containing angels and heaven and hell? Paul talks about this realm in Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Paul says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Another realm, another dimension. As a matter of fact, we read in the Bible that Stephen, as he's being martyred, martyred gets a glimpse of this heavenly place. Acts chapter 7 verse 55. But he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said behold I see the heavens open. And the son of man standing at the right hand of God. As Stephen is being killed being stoned to death. He looks up and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the father. He sees this realm. Heaven was and heaven is a real physical place. We also see that Elijah, the prophet Elijah, asked God to, to have his servant see this other realm. 
2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Then Elijah prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Again, heaven and hell are real physical realms. They're places. And Jesus says this in John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place, a physical place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself and where I am. You may be also. Heaven is a real place, a physical realm with physical properties. So what is this place like? What is life like in the intermediate state, the second stage of my, my, mankind? To take a closer look at that, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. It's a parable that Jesus spoke. It's a parable, a story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And I want us just to get an idea, make some observations to, to kind of glean of what's happening right now in the intermediate state. Heaven and hell. Luke 16, verse 22 is where we're going to pick up. It says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. What do we see in these two verses? Lazarus dies and he's, he's carried by angels immediately into the presence of Abraham. In the like manner, the rich man dies, but he immediately goes into torture, into torment. It's immediate, right away. But notice, the poor man, Lazarus, is comforted by Abraham. He's with him, but the rich man is not. He is alone and in isolation and in torment. Verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. For I am in anguish. I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember. Catch that. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Somehow both are depicted to have physical forms. Lazarus is asked to, to take his finger and dip in water so he can put it on the rich man's tongue. But notice also Abraham says, remember. Remember how you were on earth, you had it all. And Lazarus had nothing. So there seems to be a sense of remembering. Abraham and the rich man, they reasoned, they communicated with each other. Verse 26, he says, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. The intermediate heaven, between the intermediate heaven and the intermediate hell, there's this great chasm. Church, once you're in, you're in. Like I told you last week, there are no second chances. When you die, you either go to hell or you go to heaven. 
That is it. He goes on in verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place. And he says it again, this place of torment. Again, the man remembers his life on earth, and he remembers he has five brothers, and he begs them. He begs them to send message so they won't come into this horrific place. He expresses concern. Now hear me. I'm not saying that what we just read is exactly as was happening in the intermediate heaven and the intermediate hell. It's not a detailed presentation. But there's a reason I believe Jesus spoke about the rich man and Lazarus. To give us an idea of what's happening right now in heaven and in hell. I love what one commentary says. He says this. Surely Jesus intended us to envision both heaven and hell as real places where there are real people who come from earth. Every one of these teachings is directly or indirectly suggested in other passages, but none is as graphically or memorably as this one. I want you now to turn your Bibles to the end of the Bible and look at some other verses in Revelation chapter 6 to, to again get an idea of what's happening just right now in the intermediate heaven, in heaven as we speak. Revelation chapter 6, we're going to kick off in verse 9 and look at only three verses. When he... The Lamb, Jesus Christ, opened the fifth seal. I, the Apostle John, is writing this letter. Saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had done. John sees the souls. Again, indicating that there's some sort of physical form because John sees the souls. And notice that people in heaven will be remembered for the lives on earth what they did on earth because it clearly says those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. In the present heaven are not different people. They're the same people but just relocated. And now there are people without sin. The righteous, as a matter of fact, they are made perfect. And we read about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Back to Revelation, verse 10. They, the souls of the martyrs, cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It seems like that people in heaven can express themselves audibly. And they could raise the volume of their voice. They cried out with a loud voice. Again, having some sort of physical form. They're rational. They can communicate. They have emotions just like people here on earth. And, and notice also that the martyrs are fully aware of what's happening. They're fully aware of each other. They're fully aware of God. And they're fully aware of what's happening on earth. And they also have a concept of time because they ask, how long, God, how long will it be until you judge the people that did this to us? Verse 11, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They're asked to put on white robes. Again, some sort of physical form. 
It may be symbolic, but time and time again we see this. John saw them, saw the soul. Also, the intermediate state. In the intermediate state, in heaven right now and forever, we will have rest. That's why he says they were told to rest a little longer. To rest a little longer. Church, in heaven, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There is no more sin. Let me share with you two more things of what's happening in heaven as we speak. We will be able to recognize and reunite with believers who have gone before us. We are going to be able to recognize even those we had never met before. But not only that, we are going to re be reunited with believers of all time. We read in the Gospel of Luke that John, James, and Peter, they go up to, with Jesus up to a mountain to pray. And this is what we read in Luke thir, uh, 9, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and the other two apostles who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with Jesus... And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, three of them, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what Peter said. Notice, Peter sees Jesus in his glorified state. But he also sees Elijah and he sees Moses Peter had heard of Elijah, Peter had heard of Moses, Peter had read of Elijah and of Moses, but Peter had never, ever, ever seen them. He had never seen a selfie of them, he had never taken a picture with them, he had never seen a Facebook post of them, but yet, but yet he recognized them. That's Elijah, that's Moses. We're going to be able to recognize believers that have gone before us, even if we've never met them. I can't wait to meet David and Joshua and Peter and Moses and Elijah. But not only that, we're going to be reunited with believers who went before us. Matthew 8, verse 11, Jesus says this, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I did a quick research on books that speak about the afterlife. And these books claim that some people have died and come back, near-death experiences. And let me just share with you some of the titles that I saw. Imagine Heaven. I read it. It's, it's pretty good. Heaven is for real. I went to heaven and back. I was in heaven for 10 minutes. In heaven for 15 minutes. There's one that says he was in heaven for 30 minutes. These are real titles. My son went to heaven. My daughter went to heaven. And you know what the common factor of all these books was? Is that they all said they saw loved ones. One day, church, we will be reunited with loved ones. If. If your loved ones trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on earth. My wife and I were having date night on Friday. And we're talking about this series. We started talking about loved ones that had passed away before us. Talked about my grandmother and my great uncle. And I told CJ, man, I want to believe they're there. 
But we need to be honest. We need to be honest. I want to see every single one of you, like I want to see every single one of my family that went before us. But the truth is, the only way we'll see loved ones in heaven is if, if they put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on this earth. We'll be reunited, we'll recognize, but also, also we will participate in magnificent worship with angels and believers. Revelation chapter 4 verse 9, and where Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns, it says, before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created." Church, when we die, we're not just a disoriented soul floating around. When we die, we have consciousness. We're able to communicate. We have emotion. We remember. We have fellowship. We'll be reunited. We'll recognize others. But more importantly, we will be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. This is what the present heaven is like. The present hell, the present hell is a state of torment, a state of confinement, a state of punishment, and a state of isolation. A state of torment, tormented forever in anguish, a state of confinement, you're in change, you're not free. A state of punishment where you're going to be suffer for eternity. A state of isolation, totally separated, you will not have an ounce of the presence of God. And Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord knows who to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Jesus says this in Matthew 25, verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away, completely away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And Jesus also says in Matthew 13, verse 50, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I can go on and on and on. So my question to you again is can we really know in advance where we are going when we die. There's a story that we read in the Gospel of Luke. As Jesus is being crucified, he's hanging on the cross, but he's not alone. There are two criminals at his sides. And Jesus, Jesus is the man in the middle. And here's what we read in Luke 23, verse 39 through 42. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and, and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man in the middle, he did nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. Church, in ancient times, for one to be crucified, you needed to have done something horrible 
It's not like you stole a piece of gum. No, no. You were supposed to be an evil, evil person. As a matter of fact, the word criminal in Greek is evildoer. These criminals next to Jesus were evil, bad people doing horrific things. And one of them recognizes that he is a sinner. He recognizes the evil in him. But he says, this man, this man in the middle, he is innocent. He recognizes who Jesus was. And that's why he says, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, but this man shouldn't be here. He has done nothing wrong. I believe at that moment, that criminal knew he was going to hell. He knew that in a couple of minutes, maybe half an hour when he died, he was going straight to hell. And so he looks at Jesus and says this in verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm not worthy to go with you, but at least, Jesus, at least just remember me. Think of me. Maybe just for a second, just remember me. That's all I'm worthy because of your glory. And then Jesus looks at the criminal and says this in 43. Truly I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. I love the way a pastor portrays what happens next. The criminal dies soon after. And he goes to heaven. He's in paradise. And he, he meets up with Gabriel. Because Peter's not dead yet. He meets up with Gabriel. And Gabriel says, dude, wh what are you doing here? And the criminal says, great question. I have no idea. So Gabriel looks at him and says, all right, right. I need to ask you some questions because I'm confused. Where do you stand on the doctrine of justification by faith? What? I have no idea what you're saying. You were baptized, right? You, you must have been baptized. No. You went to church every single Sunday. You were in a community group. You, you served. You tithed. You did all your sacraments. You did penance. You shouldn't be here if you didn't do penance, right? No. 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 I did nothing. Nothing of the sort. And then, all frustrated, Gabriel says, on what basis? On what basis are you here? And the criminal says, Jesus. The man in the middle. The man in the middle on the cross. He said, he said, I could be here. Can you know, church, without a doubt, where you are going when you die? The answer is yes. But it's only yes if your answer is Jesus. The man in the middle cross. If you're thinking you're good enough to go to heaven, if you're thinking that when you go to heaven you say, well, I should be here because I did this and I did this and I did this, you are wrong. The only reason anyone goes to heaven is not because of what we did, it's because of what he did. Paying, paying the, for the punishment that we should have gotten. The only way we can go to heaven is being saved by his grace through faith. And Paul is so clear about that. And we read that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What is grace? Grace is unmerited, undeserved love. None of us, none of us deserve to be in heaven. 
But it's through God's grace, through faith, faith in who? In Jesus Christ, believing in our hearts that he died for us and he rose again. And that took care of our sin punishment. When we believed in that, we are saved. And he says this, and this is not your own doing. You can't ever do anything to be good enough. I don't care how many times you read your Bible. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care if you not only tithe, you a hundredth. That doesn't matter. It's not by your deeds. It is the gift of God. A gift is given freely to those that want to receive it. But that gift was paid at a price. And God paid for the gift of our salvation at the cross. And he says it again, not a result of work so that no one may boast. You're not muy muy. You're nothing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works, church. We're saved for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. If you know, if you know without a doubt that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ alone, nothing else, then the answer is yes. You will be with him forever and ever. If you don't understand the gospel, if you have not or do not put your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, then the answer, church, the answer is no. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in the people's heads that they're sitting here in front of me, that they all responded yes. But I know, I know that there's some that the response was no. Father, I pray that they open up their Bibles, that we open up our Bibles and read these words we just read. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. We're saved by grace. Not by our works, not by our religious stuff that we do. It's all because of everything that you did, Father. I pray that we are a church that shares this truth to everyone. So that one day, so that one day we can be with you forever. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Like I mentioned, next week we're going to look at what's happening in the new earth and the new heaven. What's going to happen and what is the lake of fire going to be like. You don't want to miss it. Invite your friends. As always, I love you. God bless you guys.